this is the sixth episode of the Tan Ching Bok podcast. It's a brand new year and we're back with a new episode with me once again as your mystery co-host. We're coming to you from Dr. Tan's living room, which is a more comfy setting. Welcome back, Doc. Thank you. I am indeed comfortable. Always great to hear that. If you'd like to be a part of this show, simply send in your questions and comments to ask at tanchengbok.org. You can also DM Dr. Tan on Instagram at tanchengbok. Recently, we've heard about the cancellation of the KL Singapore High Speed Rail project. But for this episode, we'd like to take a step back and look at something closer to home. So let's talk about public transport, something that Dr. Tan has had a long history with. Doc, tell us about your past with public transport, specifically the Land Transport Authority or LTA. I think before LTA, you all should understand, there was a big debate in the house on whether we should have a mass rapid transit system, as you all can see now, or should we opt for an all bus system, which is also carrying many, many passengers instead of the current system? So the debate, I knew, I know it was uh, quite, quite heated. There was one camp that was pro uh, bus system. I think that was also led by Go King Sui. And the other one, of course, uh, the MRT system. I think Ong Teng Cheng has a big say in this. But to cut the story short, the debate ended with the unanimous decision that we should opt for the MRT system. Now, when the MRT system was uh, finally uh, decided upon, they had to form a provisional MRT council. And this is where I got involved. I was in the provisional MRT system, which later on became the MRT system, and then later on, became LTA. So this is a historical aspect that I think Singaporeans must know. Then of course, later on, there was SMRT, which is actually the operational wing of the transport system, whereas the LTA and MRT, this is, this is building the infrastructure. It's different. One is a builder, one is an operator. So SMRT is an operator and the builder is, is LTA. How was your experience like when it came to setting up our MRT system? I think experience, when I first joined the provisional MRT system, we were actually in the dark. So we had the assistance of the Hong Kong system. At that time, Hong Kong was about to finish the MTR, they call. So many of the engineers came to join us. Uh, because they were useful. Because in the building of the mass rapid transit system, it's either you take an overhead system or you have an underground system. But we opted for both because, of course, it all depends on the terrain and also on the density of the population. We don't want to cause too much disruption. So it was a good thing that the, the, the MTR was about to finish the first phase or so. So we got many of the engineers from uh, in Hong Kong and they were really very useful, very good. And I remember the first thing we did was we had to 
get our rolling stocks. Our rolling stocks primarily consist the train and all the parts. So we had to go and uh, make a big purchase. The budget given to us was $5 billion, which was sizable at that time. $5 billion during that time was really big. Where did you end up getting our rolling stock from? And I remember we made a trip around the world on 11 days, going from Singapore to London to Sweden, and then all the way back to Japan, and then finally back home to do all this purchase. So we, we look at the British system, which is called the MetroChem. There was a company called MetroChem, but we didn't opt for MetroChem because it was a little bit expensive. And we were also worried about the labor problem in England then because you're not sure if there's a big labor dispute in London, we will not get our trains back on time. So we went to Sweden and there's a uh, company called ASA and uh, they're very good, the Swedish system, very good bikes, too expensive also. So we went all the way back to Kobe in, in Japan and we finally managed to get something from in Kobe. Uh, because when we opted for the rolling stock, it was not the you go to one particular factory and we get the whole train. Because when we built that train, it was the component parts that go to make that train was actually from all over the world. Because our engineers, with the help of the MTAR people, were very competent people. They managed to put the whole train back with all the various parts involved. So to cut the long story short, we finally opted for the Japanese model. Because the Japanese model were not only cheaper, they were, they were cheaper, but they were also efficient and we, we could trust that they would be delivered to us on time. Because I think for us, timing is very important. And also, we opted for the system because it was a saving. We saved about, I think we, at the end of the day, I remember we saved about 50, 50 million for the, for the Singapore. So these are some of the background things that we had to go through getting the whole system organized, the rolling stocks and so on. What valuable lessons did you gain from this whole experience? There were many things I learned when I was uh, in LTA. I think when I went to, to London with the team, I remembered I, I, I looked at the London tube. The London tube looks old, but you got to ask, you got to admire them. Because at that time it was about 100 years and the train was still moving. So our curiosity, I, 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 I spoke to those engineers who are bringing us around. Hey, what is your biggest problem you encounter? So I remembered there was this engineer from the London Transport. He went to one hatch and he opened that hatch and they were crawling with rats. So he said, don't ever get this problem. Because if once the rats come to your system, you've got a hell of a problem because the rats like to bite the wires. It is gnawing, they like to bite the wires and you get short circuit, you get a lot of problems. So that actually stayed in my memory bank. And I said, yeah, I make sure. And to make sure they had no eating because the food will attract the rats. So when we came back, we were quite determined that we shall implement this. So that's why you get no eating on the trains because all this food that's dropped on the train and at the platform where you are taking the train is a potential source of uh, rat infestation. They would like to eat the foods. Plenty of food sure to have. 
And we also have a buffer zone. That means there should be a certain distance away from the train for you to set up shop that sell food. So there's this buffer system. It's not perfect, but at least we know there is a distance. So the rats will always stay there, won't come to your MRT trains. That's why when Bukit Batok train, where there was a lot of breakdown and they showed some rats, that was my worst worry. I think, my God, have we got all our food establishment too close to the trains, to our station? And true enough, when I went there, I asked my men to have a look, yes. I think that was our mistake. We, we compromised on that. We let the shops come too close to our MRT stations and we brought the rats. So very be careful. So now we must take note of that. Still, we can make sure that they don't, don't come in too big numbers or else we're going to have breakdowns in future because our trains are all over the island. So this one thing we'll learn. Then of course, I think one of the reasons why no chewing gum. That was because our trains suddenly stopped while we were running. Then to our horror, we realised that many of the there are no Singaporeans, not the boys, maybe the school children. After t- taking a, chewing a lot of this chewing gum, they like to take the chewing gum and press against the, the door so they couldn't open. So then we decided, yes, no more chewing gum. And I think it's a painful step, but I think it's necessary. So our systems seldom, somehow the platform screen doors tend to open and shut quite uh, effortlessly without any of this problem. So these are the things we picked up and I thought it was uh, it's good to share with you. Then the other thing I noticed that we are going, our trains are moving into the estates now. It's no longer a main line. So the side line, for example, Bukit Panjang. Hmm, and that would potentially cause privacy issues where commuters could peer right into people's homes. So how did you mitigate this issue? So I remember in Kobe, we were on the train and it was very interesting that when the train passes by uh, some of these high-rise flats there, suddenly you cannot see outside. The whole uh, windows were all like, uh, or became opaque. I thought that was a very good idea because we, should we go to the HDB flats? We want some privacy for our Singaporeans. So that was copied from, from them and I thought that was a very good thing to, to learn from the from the Japanese, so that was. Now that's why when you go to the HDB in our uh, neighborhoods, at least there's some degree of privacy. Not the best, but still quite good. Given that a large sum was poured into building our MRT system, was there anything that seemed expensive at first that turned out in the end to be an important investment? In earlier days, we had two special trains. We call them the maintenance train. I think it costs about a million dollars each. And these trains will move out early morning, much, much early before all the commuters come in onto the trains. And they will actually be monitoring the tracks and all the hiccups that will happen if, if a train were to use a track. So I thought those two trains were very useful. They were expensive. In the beginning, I was quite reluctant to say, hey, why do we have to spend so much money having this sort of train. Then I realised that these are very important things. This expenditure, high expenditure, but needed. So it's better we make sure of safety and uh, and uh, be prepared for all these eventualities so that we will be able to manage the whole system better. What was one issue behind the scenes that affected the MRT system in its early days 
that people today don't really notice or won't know unless it's reported in the news. You see, many people say there'll be flooding. I think at first, when you go down to the tunnels, which I did many times, I go right down because as the director there, I would want to know how the system really worked. I was wondering, hey, the tunnel should be quite foolproof, but not true. And there actually water seepage all the time. That's why we have all these pumps. And so the pumps must maintain. So if your pumps are not maintained, of course, you're going to get problems. And I remember the old engineers used to have colors, colors, you know, on the cables to tell you which pump, which pump. So very important. If this type of knowledge that you have at the underground is not passed on to your future, to, to those who come after you, they're going to have a problem because it's very important how you maintain. Outside the maintenance is very, very important. And uh, I hope that they do that. But I said to do that institutional memory is very important. They must share that memory and pass it down to people who are maintaining the system. Seeing our transport system develop and grow over the years, what is one thing that you feel we should know? I think we should be more conscious that the system has to be helped by everybody if you want to get the whole system uh, working without any problem. Understand the possible breakdowns and don't be so angry. Sometimes the train breaks down, sometimes mechanical things do break down. After a lot of wear and tear, it does break down. But if it breaks down because of poor maintenance, it's not good. But if the maintenance is good and there's some breakdown, circuit breaks and so on, let's accept a little bit. Don't be too harsh on the people who are doing it. That is if they maintain well. Let's have a look at the mailbox and see what we've got for this episode. Oh, Sylvia asked through the email, Hi Dr. Tan, as our population continues to grow, how can we keep our transport systems efficient? I think the most important thing in any transport is maintenance. And uh, you must really have a very good, strong program of maintaining and, do, and also to make sure some of the measures we want to prevent at least breakdown must be taken into account. For example, you must make sure that there no rat infestation underground because that will cause breakdowns into our transport system. But I think most important actually is a good, efficient maintenance system. That is so important. Don't compromise, okay? So Doc, before we go, for all MRT riders, what is one thing you think they should be mindful of? I think like any uh, public transport system, there is also our own personal responsibility to help the system going. So to help the system going, I think we must be aware of the possible things that can happen. For example, if it's no food and drink, you must, you must understand. It's important people must understand. You cannot say that, oh, uh, you eat uh, food and drinks in the train, you'll be fine. Uh, $500, for example. I think that's a wrong reason. The right reason for people to internalize concepts of why you shouldn't drink or eat food uh, is to fully understand why. That means you keep it clean, with a clean, no rats will come, and uh, that will keep, keep our system going all the time. 
So all commuters must always remember that the positive impact of civic-mindedness and being considerate should be the best deterrent against inconsiderate practices. Correct, correct, yeah. Thank you, Doc. It's been great hearing your stories all about the history of the MRT system and your contributions to it. If you'd like to be a part of this show, once again, you can send in your questions and comments to ask at tanchengbok.org. Also, there's Instagram, where you can DM him at tanchengbok. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Tan Cheng Bok Podcast. See you then.